Hello and welcome everyone to this third episode of Gupshap with Gil. We have somebody with us who's who's known as one of the people who's who's great in writing stories about cricket. Uh, is always very good with his th- threads, and we all love to read it. We have with us uh, Abhishek Mukherjee, a uh, known cricket writer and uh, historian, also as some might call it. Uh, welcome, uh, Abhishek Da. Hopefully, uh, you'll enjoy uh, uh, talking about uh, talking on this show about your writing and everything else that you you know love about the sport. Uh, thank uh, thanks for uh, coming here once again. Thank you for having me on my on your show. so uh, you know uh, abhishek da uh, a lot of people uh, you know probably wouldn't know this about you but you uh, never sort of did any journalism or mass communication you are an engineer and then you did your uh, masters in statistics if i no not an engineer okay uh, not an engineer at all i did my masters in statistics and i learned i mean i taught myself to code the right codes that's it okay so because uh, when i was never an engineer so i did and i went directly into analytics so and uh, i taught myself to code so i that was where i was into analytics for uh, over 12 years so where when did you think about you know making this shift from uh, writing codes doing analytics to then moving into cricket writing because like you said you did it for uh, more than a decade uh, so at what point of time you know you you sort of decided to make this shift was it always something that at the back of your mind or uh, was it very sudden that you thought that okay now i want to some, pursue something that i uh, it was uh, at the back of my mind uh, i always wanted to do something in cricket but you know the usual course uh, of action i mean the usual grind if you are somewhat okay at science you follow science in the typical indian i mean the other middle class generation other middle class 1990s 1980s 1990s formula of if you are okay at science always pursue science and then follow a routine course so i was i follow that uh, stream of action and landed okay i got a job and okay but i was not I was never enjoying what I was doing. It was okay. I was doing okay. I was. I won't say I was hating it, but I always want to change. I mean, do something I like. So that was it. See? And then uh, I worked for a couple of startups. So and at the same time, I started writing for Cricket Country and contributing mostly with historical pieces. And then they offered me a job, and then that's what. It, it it speaks a lot about your caliber when you were not good at something you still managed to be the chief technical officer of a of a company for for a long time time and then when you were obviously you know going to be interested in something you would have done pretty good at it which is something that we see regularly with your cricket writing and one thing that i want to add which you said that that was the formula in the 80s and 90s that if you are good at studying you take science i'd say that was the formula even in the last decade for, from 2000s to 2010s because I did my twelfth in twenty uh, thirteen, and uh, uh, I I had my tenth class board exams during the twenty eleven World Cup. So for me also it was either sciences or humanities. And for something changed, and you know I switched my field from humanities to sciences. Then I did JE everything, even went, did my engineering. But 
this when even when i was in the field of engineering i knew that i wanted to do something in the field of sport and i kept trying my hand so i think uh, that is something which will remain with the indian middle class for times to come because there is no denying the fact that engineering is something you know which which leads to a stable or uh, stable life or a stable income if you might yes yes that used to be the case but right now too many avenues have opened up i mean the internet boom has provided with newer opportunities and professions that we had no idea would exist for example 10 years ago if you maybe not 10 maybe a bit more if you told me that a youtuber can make money there will be a profession called youtuber a social media influencer can actually be a profession so i would not have believed that so profession i mean a professions have start, i mean i uh, you can actually click pictures of food post them on instagram and get paid for that i mean i would never have believed if someone had told this to me when say even 10 15 years ago that this may be this will happen at some point in future uh, i don't know i mean professions there are professions and the internet one good thing the internet has done is it has leveled the ground it can be it, you can say it is good you can say it is bad but mm, the monopoly has been broken by the internet now if you are really good if you can start something on the internet and if you are really good and if you keep at it keep doing it then you will get some sort of success you know what you said actually brings me to uh, you know this debate that used to happen uh, around a year ago where people used to sort of look down upon you know who were people who used to uh, use tiktok a lot uh, they used to say this is this is not any content and you know people would make money so you are absolutely right where you say that it's level the ground where anyone can be a star or anyone uh, you know can earn money and showcase his talent and i think uh, social media has definitely got a lot to do with it and in fact you know uh, had it not been for internet no, no, i have i have tremendous respect for people who can who get popular doing these videos i mean they are entirely self made they almost they often have no formal training they shoot videos on their own the content whether it's good or bad that i am not nobody to say that i mean i can't make these things on my own but they, these people are self made and they have broken the barriers they are cutting through the clouds of course that of course they i mean i have tremendous respect for these people they have been told i'm sure they have been told that they are they are no good these videos won't be any good and now they are challenging the conventions when we ask when we say this is not content we stick to the original definition of on good content that we had been taught say maybe 30 years ago So no, they are challenging that norm. They are producing their own content. That's okay, and and they are successful at it. Makes sense. Uh, like you spoke uh, said about uh, you know content which we were taught about probably twenty thirty years ago, and there are obviously new definitions coming up. Uh, do you sort of feel somewhere the same about cricket writing in particular? What do you think? 
uh, or you know what do you think makes for good cricket writing or who do you think is a good cricket writer or if i'll rephrase it what does good cricket writing uh, or good writing mean to you first of all you can't sway from there cannot be any compromise on facts that is sacrosanct you uh, that uh, once that is in place i think the best writer is someone who can provide the reader with information they can't get from anywhere else they can't get on their own see we all of us get to watch these matches on tv okay so the some writers still stick to the era when they could cover matches but there was no coverage on tv or matches were day matches and uh, we didn't get to watch the matches because we were at work or at school so our entire source of information would be the would be next day's newspaper articles next day's newspaper report these reports used to be elaborately detailed and rich so that was good content in the pre internet era the definition has changed now completely everyone gets to watch the match everyone even if even if not live they can watch a recording they can watch what the highlights they get to hear experts speaking say maybe on five different sites so a good writer is someone who can provide anything beyond something they won't get i mean anyone can be lazy and take the information from somewhere else and just rephrase it with good english or good language good flair but you have to give something extra the others don't would you say that that extra something is probably in terms of uh, analysis or could it be in terms of uh, yes can be uh, number analysis or an, uh, or some analogy which which you which may, you viewers may not be aware of yes it can be anything it will depend from match to match scenario it will depend on scenario but as i said it has to be something different it has to be something new otherwise it's just another coverage just the style of coverage may be different but no extra information i would like to see journalists dig dig deep for more information outside cricket matches get into the real lives of cricketers get into the real life not only cricket about anyone associated with cricket more stories from i don't know from grassroots cricket from cricket that happens beyond television because television has television not necessarily television video coverage once you get to see a match ball by ball the entire match uh you don't need a match report that describes exactly that you need something extra so journalist on tour i really should be able to give something beyond the match you know this is something uh, in the previous episode we had discussed uh, with uh, vijay lokapalli sir as well he said that uh, everyone is getting to match uh, watch the matches which are there on tv what newspapers he said particularly should be doing is covering 
grassroots events and you know probably school cricket or uh, these kanga leagues and the leagues yes. that happened at at a lower level what he said that it, it would also lead to you know creating a sport culture yes. he said that creating a sport culture isn't necessarily left to the administrators this is also something that contributes to it because if say a 15 or a 16 year old gets to know about his performance you know being written in a newspaper then that is a very high motivation uh, for somebody like him or her and you know sort of stri- puts him uh, to strive for more when it comes to uh, developing himself or herself see talk to any cricketer watch any cricketer's interview read any cricketer's autobiography there will be one mention of how excited the person felt when the first when they got to know the first time their name appeared in newspaper in a small match report somewhere that excitement cannot be matched any cricketer you ask will get to get this answer that that is something definitely to ponder over and uh, you know we are discussing this about a sport which is probably followed and written the most so i can't even imagine what would be the coverage of other sports which are probably you know not as popular as cricket so definitely i think there's something there's something for you know newspapers to do because like you said uh, with the post with, with the era that we are in and uh, with the access to internet to everyone there are there are already too many write ups on the games that are happening on tv you have a cricket info you have a cricket country you have a cricket next you have a cricket buzz you have a cricket.com you so you've cricket and uh, cricket with analysts so there are so many avenues anyway to read about the game that is happening on tv so uh, perfectly you know uh, write about it so you've already you know mentioned how sort of cricket writing has changed a little bit because earlier it used to be about just writing reports because people were not able to watch the games what what do you have to say about the changes in broadcasting i know you you haven't worked in broadcasting but even as a fan what do you make of the changes in broadcasting that has happened over the years considering you've been following the game for more than 25 years now i'll tell you something uh, if you listen to um commentary uh, it's difficult to get anything beyond highlights these days so commentary from 80s 90s even 2000s the commentators used to pause when a ball happened these days i think uh, because of 2020 it's so even full they don't pause uh between i mean when there is no event happening they don't pause that is one major change i have noticed secondly i mean um, they put in that extra effort to keep the audience involved i think it might have to do with the format i think they might be working under instructions which i'm sure the broadcasters know what they're doing but this is one change i'm not saying it's better or worse but definitely with the pace of the game has increased so and with that the number of the the amount of time a commentator did not talk has also come down drastically i see but uh, you know in t20s one can still understand uh, you know the the pause going out but do you think it it should still go out in say test matches where sometimes you know the the intensity of a spell or uh, the same person yes sometimes sometimes uh, so uh, there are moments you feel when 
you see you you expect the pause you don't want the commentator to talk constantly you would ex because the the i the sport is i mean the action is the main even the com the commentator is a is a support act but okay i'm sure if this is what uh, this is about this is a completely personal opinion if uh, the current fan base expects them to talk more frequently i'm sure they are catering to that demand or something like that it's a matter of personal choice fair enough fair enough uh now like i mentioned before that uh, you're famous for writing stories and doing twitter threads etc etc and you've written many of them uh, was there ever one thread which you thought you know uh, sort of went more viral than what you expected and was there any story which you thought you know should go viral but yeah yeah that that many eyeballs could you narrate a few incidents uh, instances of this yeah so uh I think the couple day birthday post. I didn't think there was anything in it, but it came back to me as a WhatsApp forward. So that is one indicator of something getting viral. So I didn't know. I mean, I wrote a post a couple days birthday about things he did, but others didn't. I didn't even put in much effort into this, but the some of the pieces I put in effort. I don't know. I mean. Maybe it's about what resonates and what doesn't. Uh, Could you narrate that story? A couple of pieces when we talk about big hitters. Yeah, uh, a couple of uh, pieces. For example, when we talk of uh, big hitters, we don't mention Charles Fountain, who could clear in the nineteenth century. He could clear enormous grounds at will. He, I mean, um, there are instances of. i mean with an with an archaic bat you should see the 19th century bats in some museum i mean even club cricketers will hesitate to pick them up today but he could clear grounds at will i mean uh, not only ground ground then the street next to them and basically smash windows on the other side of the street so yeah i mean uh, instances get buried there are instances of um, cricket uh, being called a gentleman's game uh, uh, i mean uh, that's a common notion uh, that has been one of my pet peeves uh, history of cricket is littered with inc inc incidents that prove the exact opposite but yeah i mean these are not as well known as i have to establish yeah these are not as well known probably because they don't resonate with the with the usual no but yeah could you could you narrate that kapil dev story for uh, us and uh, you know people who may not have heard it uh, and considering it's kapil dev and people would also yeah. like to know what wh wh who's the who's the writer behind that story and where the, did that story originate from so could you please uh, narrate that story the no uh, come again i didn't get your question i'm saying could you narrate that kapil dev story uh, the one you said became too famous because uh, kapil dev story is a list of his achievements there's a list of what uh, his records what he did okay. basically a list of his achievements in a thread that was it nothing special 
that then then that would have been you know bound to become more viral because if you if you look at it kapil dev is still probably in many ways one of the earliest sporting heroes i say sporting and not only cricketing heroes because you know i somehow feel that he was you know probably the first uh, iconic if not the first then one of the many early uh, cricketers who were icons of the sport which led to a lot of people picking up the sport i i have a theory and i, I sort of want to discuss it with you i've always felt that any sport starts to take a uh, take off when there are icons to look up, uh, look up to like cricket started growing when there was a kapil dev then a sachin tendulkar came up and a lot of people started following the sport because there were these heroes similarly hockey was at its prime when there were a lot of heroes the team used to do well but once those heroes went out the popularity of the sport also died so i i think the most significant moment in indian sporting history was in hockey the most the most one single most significant event that would be in 1948 olympics india see uh, there is some background to this until then great britain never participated in olympic hockey as long as india participated so in 1948 london olympics the year after india's independence it's almost a bollywood movie india met england in the final in 1948 in london and india beat england in the final to win the gold medal i don't think there can be a more bollywoodish moment than this i don't know whether why there has been no movie made on this but yeah i mean the year after independence you can imagine i think this could have been i think gold is on that uh, a, a lagan sequel i think gold is on that olympics only 1948 i think gold gold was from 1928 starting okay i i haven't watched that movie so 28 32 36 40 then 48 hopefully when there is some the gold was in 1948 i have not watched gold i i also haven't so i was just guessing i have only seen a few trailers uh, i know that uh, in that movie india and pakistan the I, i've seen a few bits of the movie i know that players who were a part of the indian side before because the uh, it was after partition so uh, the pakistani players uh, ha- were playing mm-hmm. for pakistan so i think it's it's on 1948 if i'm not wrong I think it's on 1948. I haven't watched that movie yet, but just because India and Pakistan players got separated, I think uh, it's on 1948. So now you've just recently come out with this book. I must have missed gold. I must now watch gold. Yeah. Uh, now you've just written this book about uh, the partnership between Sachin Tendulkar and Mohammad Azizuddin at Cape Town, and it also says that it's a it's a mm-hmm. book about the friendship between India and uh, South Africa through cricket. so talk us to about uh, that book a little bit and uh, you know uh, what what else are you looking to convey through that book considering you know you wrote that it is also about the the partnership of india and south africa uh, on the cricketing grounds see um first of all it's a special partnership uh, this is uh, i mean from just the cricketing viewpoint if you think of a partnership in test match a great partnership it's typically a long well uh, i mean well stretched partnership if if there is an attack it happens at one end here we are talking about attack at both ends on south african soil against us 
full strength South African attack. In the first test, India were rolled out for 100 in the first three, 66 in the second. Here they were 58 for five. South Africa had posted 500 plus, India were 58 for five. There was no way India were coming back into them. That was when Tendulkar and Azhar got together. In the next two hours, they added 222 runs. So there was attack at both ends, different kinds of attack. Tendulkar more conventional. Azharuddin was uh, bordering on the reckless that day, but he was connecting everything. So that partnership is special on its own. Now you have to understand that India and South Africa grew together in cricket. India had been playing cricket since for a century before that. But it was only after globalization happened in the early 1990s that Indians got to watch the Indian cricketers play overseas. Satellite television, uh, I mean, Indian cricket had already grown, but Indian cricket coverage, the, the cricketers suddenly came closer. Uh, we could actually see Tendulkar and Azharuddin do this. Earlier, in the, uh, there was no live coverage of test matches outside Asia in India. So you couldn't see matches in test matches from Australia or England or South Africa or anywhere. So this was the first place this happened. 96, India had Ganguly and Dravid and uh, Lakshman debuting. This happened just after that. On the other hand, this was also the era when Callis and Pollock had just come into the South African side. And roughly when India had opened its doors to the world through globalization, South Africa had also opened its doors to the world by ending the apartheid era. They are not comparable, but in a way they were, again. And the India-South Africa relationship rose deeper than cricket. In the 19th century, Indian workers used to you know, in Indian work, there are plenty of Indian workers, especially in, in the Durban area. So, and they were discriminated against as much as the as the as the African residents during the apartheid era. The, there was a South African contingency that I mean, made entirely of cricketers of Indian origin that toured India in the 1920s, and uh, I mean, India and South Africa were in touch. We know that Gandhi's uh, movements began in South Africa when Mandela was released. Mandela got a, was uh, honored with the Bharat Ratna. Gandhi, the Gandhi Mandela Trophy is the only cricketing bilateral contest that is named after people who were not cricketers. The relation between India and South Africa is way deeper than the cricket. And in the 90s, they took off together. This was this series was part to part of a back-to-back -back contest. So they played three test matches in India. India won the series 2-1, and almost immediately they played three test matches in South Africa. So yeah, this was a phase through which both teams were going. I think uh, now that you've mentioned, uh, you know, very categorically about the relationship and how both the teams grew together. I'm guessing you probably would have watched the, the series in 92 as well when South Africa had come 
for the first time to India after ending that era. And uh, I from yes. I haven't I, I wasn't even born then. I I am ninety six born, and I think that series happened in ninety one, ninety two. But I've read a little bit about it that how the crowds welcomed uh, you know South Africa with with a huge cheer and with a huge applause. I was there at the ground. Yeah, because it was in Eden. I I, I suppose the first game, and I. I yeah. Kepler Vessels was was the South Africa captain. So now now that you mentioned that you were at the Eden, I just want you to no 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 Clive Rice, Clive Rice. Okay. Uh, so I I just want you to you know talk about uh, that series and you know what was the atmosphere at, at that point of time because we we really don't have a lot of first hand account accounts of uh, of the atmosphere at that point of time and how that series was. So can you please go through take us through that series? Okay. Um... So first of all, this is a completely different era. I mean, uh, completely different era. Oh, one day cricket was played with the red ball, so that is. Um, they were they received the huge cheer at the Eden Gardens. Uh, the thing is, South Africa. The updates from South Africa were not quite available in the rest of the world, but we had a vague idea. we had been hearing of barry richards and green pollock and clive rice so yeah i mean we knew they were great cricketers but we had no we had nobody in india had seen south africa play live so yeah i mean unless they i mean uh, south africa as a team play live so yeah i mean there was the anticipation was huge but the moment of south africa returning to international play that was a significant moment and i think uh calcutta had an idea of the volume of, i i mean of the significance of what was going on so south africa didn't bat well but uh i clearly remember when alan donald marked his run up we saw dave richardson standing way way behind back behind the stumps so they were i mean how quick does this man bowl I mean, we had seen Marshall and Holding and Patterson and Walsh bowl at Eden Gardens. Surely he can't be quicker than them. But uh, I can tell you honestly, the first spell, the almost nobody from my section in the stands could see the ball. We could basically there was a puff of dust where the ball bounced. That was all we could see. And the thud into Richardson's gloves. That was, I mean, you could hear that thud. I think uh, in his first two or three overs, Donald took three wickets. So he took five wickets, and he was joint player of the match. India won the second match as well. The third match was in Delhi. This was a day-night match and was played in uh, played with a white ball. So in the Jawaharlal Nehru Stadium, it was essentially a football ground, an athletics ground. So there was a track. there was a running track and the fielder stood on the track i mean it was a running it was an athletic and football ground it was an olympic it was an asian games ground basically converted to a cricket field so you understand i mean the tracks were there the fielders were fielding on the running track so that was what happened and the thing was indians were not used to playing floodlight cricket cricket under floodlight south africans they had been doing that for years
in south africa limited overs cricket in south africa at domestic level because it was domestic until that point was often played under floodlights so they were used to it more than the indians so yeah i mean uh, india did well but south africa adrian typer he just smashed everything and south africa won that match south africa's first win since their return after their return it's 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 good that you mentioned that it was the jawaharlal nehru stadium because ferosha kotla got its floodlights in 2008 just before the ipl because i i've lived in delhi you know watched matches in kotla my very first game was in 2005 so i, I was just going to bring it up that it would have been in jln only because uh, jln you know before the asian games i i've read about it i think a lot of stadiums underwent a lot of renovation and then they had the light so Uh, yes it is it, good that you mentioned it because kotla so basically uh, jln was the second ground in the world in the world to host an odi under lights an international match under lights the first was sydney then i think jln and then mcg and i guess sydney would so have been jln hosted a match against australia in 1984 of india australia odi Kepler Vessels played in that match for Australia. The second match, day night on Indian soil, was the South Africa match, and Kepler Vessels came back again this time for South Africa. The first day night game in Sydney, uh, I think uh, it would have been after uh, the World Series cricket because uh, there was a the very first day night game of World Series cricket was also in SCG. I think in November nineteen seventy eight, if I'm not wrong, but you would probably know it better. Actually, yeah, I mean, um, the world World Series opened up a lot of things. Day night cricket was a, I mean, experiments were being made with day night with cricket under lights for some time. Um, there was an exhibition match in the nineteen fifties that was played under light, but it uh, in in England, but it the idea never stuck. Uh, it became popular only after World Series. that they've been trying because yeah i mean they were trying to capture the after work audience that is one thing secondly in england days are longer so you can do even without floodlights in peak summer not in india in india to play sometime in the evening you need floodlights also also what what we have seen is that when there are matches day night matches in calcutta uh, the the floodlights are switched on at around 4:35 while if you are playing matches say somewhere in yes. uh, in the western part of the country in mumbai then the floodlights don't need to come on till 6:37 in the peak summer so that is also uh, an issue just the geography of the country any anyway, i'll i'll move on to something else i'll i'll move on to something which is which we all keep discussing about i i want to know about what you think about the women's cricket or the women's game in the country at the moment where do you think it's headed and uh, where do you think it can improve or you know what what, what should be the way forward uh, they need more matches they need more matches and more coverage there's no second thought about it you cannot have a team reaching a world cup t20 world cup final and not let them play for a year 
COVID, yes, I understand the restrictions, but the men's team had played. So there cannot be a reason for the women's team not playing. Even now, the women's team coach was announced days after the squad has been announced finally. But if the two squads were leaving at the same time, why this delay? The women's contracts have not been announced uh, until now, I suppose, the new contracts. So yeah, you may say that, they may say that they are doing a lot, but um, they still play that four match. The four match thing where no team gets more than three matches. Mm. And they try to coincide that during the IPL, the women's T20 challenge. I don't think that is any way close to enough. There has to be a minimum of four teams. There has to, every team has to play a minimum of five, six matches. Last year, they got their own sponsors, so they can function independently. I can't see why they can't, cannot be more matches. See, as far as I'm concerned, what I feel about is that if you look back at the last three ICC tournaments, India have lost to England and Australia. The two, the two countries and the two teams that have that already have a robust uh, T20 league for their players. So it sort of tells you the importance of these leagues because uh, I, I, we, I think somewhere we lost the 2017 uh, World Cup final because we were just too nervous. It was just a battle of nerves. And I think the one thing that any youngster has talked mm-hmm. uh, was talked about the IPL or the impact is that he's he, he said that. They don't feel the same nervousness when they are, you know, playing at the big stage because of the IPL. So I, I certainly, you know, definitely feel that there's a need for an elongated women's IPL. Like you said, I don't think just four games are are a league enough. Uh, there should be probably if 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 even if there are four games and you play a round robin, you will still have six games. But I I, I feel that there if there are four games, there will always be one team. There'll always be one team that will play only two matches. And if you if you're a batter, your team loses about three wickets in both matches. You get maybe I don't know five balls to face in each match. What contribution do you make? You just show up, field for twenty overs, bat for maybe five ten balls in the entire tournament, and your your stint is over. Worse, uh, your team may win the match uh, because all three teams are trying trying to win. They won't rotate cricketers enough. And you just may remain on the bench and return. There's no point in playing a, a playing this four-match series. Make it four teams. That's a basic, that's a minimum four teams. Double round robin, so that's six games. Twelve matches plus a final. Six and every team plays every team twice, so you can make it twelve. No, I was saying six games for each team. So that yeah. still some sample space. Yeah, six games for each team. Yeah. So uh, just one last thing that I want to even talk about. You've, you've been pretty, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are in the space of sports, whether it be sports broadcasting, sports journalism, writing, analytics, who, who you know, on their social media tend to you know, cater to only to the, the to the field that, that they are in. That is, they basically only talk about, say, uh, sports writing or sports journalism or issues of sports. But you, on the other hand, I've seen, you know, have been vocal about other issues as well, which impact the society. 
and i what the kind of feeling that i get from your writing sometimes is that you would definitely feel that sports impact society and i've seen you do a few stories which which have shown how sports has positively impacted the society so i want to know what what is it that you exactly feel about it do you think you know uh, should people be restricted it's not my feelings even nelson mandela believed in that uh if you a win in a major sporting event can alter the um can alter a lot of things can um, i mean see the way i tell you a story in the 1930s australia were going through probably the worst depression of the in their history it's not an old country um uh, they became independent just i mean a few decades before that australia were go- the uh, new york stock exchange had stock market had collapsed and a few years after that australia went to a terrible state of depression and the australians kept saying that the soul they they had two sources of inspiration that lifted their spirits even in during these times one was a race horse called far left they found far left achievements uh, really inspiring and the other one was that so bradmans bradman conquering english the english in england was i mean people stayed up nights people uh waited for the next day's newspaper people drew inspiration from that one man in that era it is uh, when mandela when south africa returned on several occasions mandela was asked whether they should go ahead with anything related to sport and mandela invariably encouraged that i mean it, it, it's something that you understand and sports can be used as a tool to send out messages you have seen that in the olympics we have seen cricketers don messages we we have seen the entire black lives matter movement we have seen how cricketers house athletes have used sports to send out relevant messages so sports does inspire we even closer home i mean um, i think a few days ago we were discussing somewhere andy flower and henry olonga so yeah i mean you do take a stand and there's no place better than sport which is being telecast which is being broadcast to millions of people maybe around the world to send out a message and cricket has been see after the second world war england was ravaged there were some cricketers mostly australians stranded in europe waiting to return so to boost the spirit of the crowd they arranged for a series of five unofficial test matches these were called the victory tests and it was played in an entirely different series in in, in an entirely different spirit and it helped boost the spirit of a lot of people before that during the world cup during the world war the authorities arranged for cricket matches involving several tested the tested cricketers were serving national duty at that point but 
cricket matches were organized just to lift the just to keep the spirit of the general public going there are numerous examples of this where where a sporting victory has lifted the spirit of a country there are too many examples thank you for uh, sharing another story with us uh, just a couple of uh, you know last questions uh, who's your personal favorite uh, you know cricket writer or a journalist who you look forward to reading to i don't look forward to reading per se because uh, i would say of all writers gerald broadrib um, there's no looking forward to because he died about two decades ago i think but yeah i mean um, if you ask me the the writer i would want to emulate i would want i i would say gerald broadrib because the amount of research that went into the books is commendable i, I mean if you read you'll understand what i'm talking about maybe you could recommend some book from um, contempt david uh, david fritz book is uh, david fritz autobiography is coming out i think uh, today's historians cricket historians cricket researchers can run through david fritz entire works and then stephen chalk another personal favorite i think chalk will also quit writing after a point chalk's books uh, one thing that i find really admirable in chalk is he always used to he always tried to write on slightly non mainstream cricketers who had interesting lives where impressive careers careers but more importantly interesting lives so that is one thing that would definitely that that definitely does because um see writing on the on field exploits is something you get from scorecards you get from match reports a good writer will definitely venture beyond that uh, next great book is i mean Hague had has raised the bar so high that it is again difficult to emulate. I I've seen you share a few uh, Sharda Ugra articles of late, so I thought maybe you know she's also one writer that you look forward to. Uh, Sharda will be my favorite, my one. If you ask me to take one favorite Indian cricket columnist, that will be Sharda Ugra. There is no second thought about. Because, because I've seen absolutely no no uh, quite a few times you know share what what she's written and of course I I am also a fan of her writing uh, it's too bad that she's she... meticulously researched she she understands the idea of setting the pace setting the tone and nobody knows how to finish an article better than her. It's it's almost like that. Uh, she, she she when it comes to finishing off an article, she's she's very much like Dhoni. She knows how to you know finish off with a flourish. <laughs> Moving on to less serious things. That's uh, less. That uh, I mean, Sharda Ugra's last paragraph is always. I mean, you can't compare them with, them with someone else. <laughs> okay. 
moving on to uh, something which is less serious and you know uh, something that you that that i've seen you talk about on twitter so what what, what wh- which biryani do you like the most and uh, what is your favorite place to eat biryani in kolkata mutton biryani kolkata mutton biryani from arsalan uh, the special biryani they have two pieces of mutton one aloo and one egg that is it so i think this is the arsalan special biryani i think any of our viewers who are you know uh, listen watching this show or ever uh, watch this show from kolkata or you know visit kolkata after watching this show you know where you have to go to eat uh, a good biryani in kolkata uh, i think you know we've discussed a lot today uh, i'd like to thank you for taking out the time it was a great enjoyable chat uh, got to learn a lot about cricket writing cricket history and you know a lot of parallels that can always be drawn from uh, the world of sport to how uh, actual societies function and you know probably something that we can all probably learn uh, from you as a writer and the writers that you've mentioned uh, in this show so thank you once again aushikda uh, i hope you enjoyed it and i hope it's you. worth your time and yeah. uh, hopefully we'll have you once again sometime later on gapshap with gil and uh, yeah i hope you you enjoyed it Thank you.